33, and I'm going to start our reading in verse 12. Exodus 33, beginning in 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I might find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. May God add understanding and blessing to the reading of his word together this morning. Have you ever said, well, that's more than I thought I would be getting into? <laughs> that's more than I thought I was, uh, was going to be facing. Moses, called by God to lead Israel out of captivity under the hand of Pharaoh, and called by God to lead them to the promised land. And we find Moses in this text and some of his interaction with God. We find that this passage in 33 of Exodus follows a very tragic story in chapter 32. I'll summarize rather than reading all of chapter 32. God had invited Moses up to Mount Sinai. And Moses had gone up the mountain, and he had spent 40 days hanging out with God. And the Bible indicates that they had visited there. Moses and God had had very personal and very clear interaction between the two of them. But in 40 days, the people down at the base of the mountain got a little anxious. Got a little impatient. Lost sight of who they were and who God had called them to be. And at the end of chapter 32, we find that God says to Moses, there's mischief in the camp. Back down the mountain... Moses goes, and in anger, as he sees the people worshiping a golden idol that they had created, 
Moses breaks in pieces the two tablets of the Ten Commandments that God had engraved with his own finger. What a remarkable passage of Scripture. And a lot of preaching. <laughs> we don't have time this morning. Mike and Debbie need to get to a reunion. So, this interaction between Moses and God, be it clearly known that God was not a happy God. And Moses was not a happy prophet. I was thinking about how very disappointed Moses must have been as he descended the mountain after spending this beautiful, rich, one-on-one -on -one time with God. And he comes back down the mountain, and God had let Moses in on the fact that there were some goings-on down in the camp. You read about that in Exodus 32 and, and 7. And God, God, God says, God says, there's, there's, there's stuff going on. Note, your people whom you brought out was Moses' response. <laughs> Moses said to God, they're your people, you brought, you brought them out. <laughs> how, how devastating, how hurtful, how disappointing it must have been for Moses to have to say to God, those are your, I brought them out, but those are your, those are your kids. Have you ever heard a parent say to another parent, your kid did this? <laughs> At our house lately, it's been that dog that you brought home did this. God says to Moses he intends to consume and destroy these stiff-necked people and then move forward and make a great nation out of the de descendants of Moses. He essentially says to Moses, I'm going to destroy them, and you and I are going to start over. Wow. So what does Moses do? He's, does he say to God, go for it, wipe them out, and let's start over? <laughs> go for it, wipe. They, they've been bad kids. He does not. Instead, 32 and 11 says that Moses pleaded. King James says, besought with the Lord his God. Say his God. See, Moses was positioned. Moses was positioned because of his relationship with his God to go to God on behalf of the people. Moses asked for mercy. And he asked God to remember his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I think this is stunning, folks. Despite all that Moses had been through with this bunch, he still went to bat for them 
when God was planning, thinking, considering, wiping them out and starting over, Moses goes to bat for them. Moses intercedes, say intercedes. Sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves intercessory prayers because of somebody's bad choices. He wanted to start over. God not just wanted to start over, but he says to Moses, let's you and I start over. Let, let's, let's you and I create a new nation and move forward, Moses. <laughs> what a windfall opportunity for Moses. Huh? What a windfall opportunity for Moses. Verse 32, 14 is a remarkable verse of Scripture. The New International Version says that after Moses pleaded with God, God relented from the harm he said he would do to his people. The King James actually says that God repented from what he had thought he was going to do. Truly an amazing text. Moses persuaded God not to wipe out Israel after they had committed the most grievous of sins. It breaks the heart of God when his people were disobedient. Think about it. Moses coming back down the mountain. And the song that rang in the ears of Moses as he came down the mountain was this song. As the people danced around the golden calf that they had made, here's what the people were singing. These are thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They're dancing around an idol that they had created, clearly in disobedience to God. When you read Old Testament scriptures, the depth of sin against God was idolatry. They had taken the spoils of the victory over Egypt, the gold and the silver, especially the, the, the gold jewelry and ornaments, and they had, they had crafted and forged the spoils of victory at the hand of God. They had taken those things and they had formed a golden calf who they were dancing around saying, this is the God that brought us out of the hand of Egypt. It's a disobedient little bunch, isn't it? It's the depth of sin against God in that culture. And yet, and yet Moses goes before his God that he had developed a relationship with, and that is key here. Moses had God's ear. Why did he have God's ear? Because Moses and God had become friends. Moses had developed a, a personal 
relationship. Say personal relationship. How important is it for us to develop a personal relationship with God our Father? Moses had such a relationship so that despite God saying, I'm going to wipe them out and we're going to start over, look at this. The Lord relented. He changed his mind. Wow. What a stunning, stunning verse of Scripture. There is judgment. There is death. But a remnant of Israel is going to remain according to God's mercy. Say God's mercy. According to God's mercy, there will be a remnant that will move forward. That will move forward under the leadership of Moses and even the high priest Aaron. So I told you that to tell you this. Now on to our text in chapter 33. I could have preached a couple weeks on that passage in 32. 33 and 1. Depart and go up from here, you and the people who you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. There was a promised land, friends. There was a place that God had set aside. There was a place that God had put in place for his people, and that's the direction that God sent them under the leadership of Moses after this tragic event in 32. They're still headed for promised land. We serve a merciful, gracious, forgiving God. After what we just learned about in 32... Promised land is still the destination. We talked in our study on the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debt as we forgive those who have, who have debted against us, as we forgive our debtors, huh? Forgiveness is the lifestyle of the believer. Why? It's modeled by our God. Our God is a God of forgiveness. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, huh? Our God is a God of mercy and forgiveness. God says, I'll send my angel before you. And, and, and stepping into the promised land, I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, all these ites that currently live in the promised land. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I, now listen, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to send an angel before you. I'm going to direct you. And, and that angel is going to lead you. And the promised land is still the destination. But I'm not going along. God knew the character of these folks, didn't he? And God's character is a character of perfection and holiness. Therefore, I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. 
Y'all ever get a stiff neck? I get a stiff neck every now and then, Dennis. I, yeah, and it, and it seems to come when there's stress at work. When we're real busy at work, I end up with a stiff neck. I wake up in the morning and I go, and I turn my head and you hear that crackling inside, you know. It's just, listen, the stiff-necked people is a neck that will not bow to their God. A stiff-necked people, a prideful, self-centered people have a stiff neck that will not bow. Say, will not bow. I hope you don't have a stiff neck that will not bow before your God. A stiff-necked people, a people that will not bow, that will not obey, that will not follow. Verse 7, I love this. Moses took his tent and he pitched it outside of the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now this is not the tent or the tabernacle that we see in the Exodus passages that was built in the midst of the people as a place of worship. This was not that place. This was Moses' tent. Took it outside of the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Moses, friends, listen. Moses had regular fellowship with God. He had a meeting place with God. And I find it merciful. I find it remarkable. I find it amazing that God chooses to show all the people that he was meeting with their leader, Moses. He didn't have to do a cloud. He could have met with Moses at the tent, had a little private personal meeting. But God puts in place this pillar of cloud by day, and remember, and a pillar of fire by night to show his presence. To show his presence. The presence of the Lord. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door. Can you imagine the scene? Leader of each household and his family coming to the door of their tent, looking in the direction of the cloud and worshipping because they knew that God was with them and with Moses. Now on to our text, beginning in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You say to me this, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send, or in a sense what direction you are going. Moses says, how am I going to know, essentially he's saying, how, how am I going to know the way? You want me to, you want me to get the community the crowd, 
the nation, you want me to get them to this place that you've set aside, how am I going to do that? I don't have my phone on. He didn't have a GPS. He says, show me your way. Say, show me your way. Friend, when you need direction, when you need guidance, when you need answers, go to God and say, show me your way. I dare you. You can come before the Lord and ask for guidance. You can come before the Lord and ask for direction. You can come before the Lord and ask for answers. He says, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, if indeed God, you and I have a friendship, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. Say, your way. I'm here to tell you that his way is better than our way. His way is better than the smartest concoction you can come up with. The best answer, the best logic, the best plan that you can come up with. God's way is better than your way. Show me your way. And consider that this nation is your people. 14. Here's your answer, Moses. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Wow. Now look at this next verse. And this is the verse that drew me to this passage. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not take us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, just leave us in the dust. For how will it be? How will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? Say, go with us. So we shall separate your people and I from all the people who are on the face of the earth. God had called out the nation of Israel, amen, to be his children, to be his people, just as he's called out the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. And he says, we shall be separate. God has called his people out, and he will lead them to that place. But Moses said, but if you don't go with us, we ain't going. If you don't go with us, I'm not interested. It's a deal breaker. The idea here is that God would send them, say send them, send them on to the promised land. Milk and honey, cattle and sheep, beauty and serenity. DoorDash and cable TV and Wi-Fi. All the good things. But God would not go. Verse 33 and 3 says, I will not go with you. Moses again 
pleads with God. Pleads with God. Saying again, remember your promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the Abrahamic covenant of I will be with you and I will make of you a great nation and you will populate the entire world. Listen, the paramount thing above all else to Moses is the presence of God. The paramount thing, the most important thing, the vital thing to Moses here is the presence of God. If you don't go with us, we don't go. <laughs> I see Moses stomping his feet like a stubborn little kid here. If you are in there, If God is not in it, friend, it's not worth it. If God is not part of it in your life, in your life as a believer, in your life as a, as a blood-washed, born-again, redeemed believer, if God is not in it, it's not worth it in your life. Moses had developed a relationship at a level that he was able to say, Despite the good things that are coming, God, I want you more than that. I desire you more than that. Even if the worldly benefits are great, my paramount concern is that you are with us. Think about it, friends. The presence of God in our lives. Let's turn this now to this day. The presence of God in our lives. Been some great writing through the centuries on the subject of the presence of God in our lives. Brother Lawrence wrote, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. Do you have an intimate relationship with God your Father? I think that's what we talked about over the last five weeks. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian thinker and author, said there is a strain of loneliness infecting many Christians which only the presence of God can cure. Nothing in or of this world measures up to the simple pleasure of experiencing the presence of God in your life. Thomas Keating said, We rarely think of the air we breathe, yet it is in us and around us all the time. In similar fashion, the presence of God penetrates us, is all around us, is always embracing us, the presence of God. Billy Graham, 
was known to say the light of God's presence in our lives is a purifying flame that will draw us near to him. Dr. Graham also said, if you know Christ, you don't need to beg for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. He is already there. Say, already there. Hallelujah. He is already there, whether you feel his presence or not. Don't confuse the Holy Spirit with an emotional feeling or a particular life or a particular kind of spiritual experience. God is with us. Say that. God is with us. He has promised to be with us. A little different than Moses' day. Just a reminder, Moses said, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. Sometimes, I fear that we look at opportunities in the context of the payout rather than the will of God for our lives. I said, sometimes I'm afraid that we look at opportunities in the context of the payout. How will it benefit me rather than the will of God for our lives? Moses could get a big payday here, kids. Big payday. God would make of him a great nation. But God would not be there. God would not be in it. The character of Moses shines through here. It's an example to us. He wanted nothing to do with it if God wasn't in the midst. And I believe that character had been developed in Moses because Moses had gotten to know God. Friends, as we get to know God as believers, as we develop a relationship, our daily interaction with God, we follow after Him passionately and we desire and we love His presence in our lives. Do you love, listen, do you love His presence in your life? There's even some preaching these days that lead you to think that your prosperity is the measure of your relationship, the presence of God in your life. I cringe at the thought that many of us mistake material prosperity for God's blessing. Don't go down that path, my friend. Follow after the presence rather than the provision. Follow after the... I just made that up, dude. What do you think? Follow after, follow after the presence rather than the provision. We have to be aware. We have to be sensitive to Him. How important is the presence of God in the life of the believer? It is everything. And He promises... He promises, he promises that he will be with us. We have to be aware, we have to be sensitive to him and daily, and daily invite his presence and daily align ourselves to recognize and glory and bask in his presence. The first summer day that you get out there and the sun is shining. 
and you bask in that first warm sunshine of the year. You know, remember what that feels like? It's been a while now. Daily invite his presence and joy in his presence. What does it look like in your life when God is present and you sense his presence? When God is in it, say in it. When your sense of God's presence is alive and well, you will be walking that day with joy and peace and a sense of mission and a sense of purpose because God is present in your life. What does it look like in your life when you feel that God is not there? What does that look like? I was thinking about that some this week. Number one, it's a lie that God is not there because he is there. Say, he is there. He is there. Folks, on your worst day, when you think he is the farthest from you, he is there because he promised he would be there and he keeps his promises, okay? You all right? Keeps his promises. He promises he will be there. He promises he will be there. What's it look like on a day when you feel like he's not around? How's your day go on that day? I think there's a numbness. There's a shallowness. There's a non-caring, non-committal kind of attitude on those days. There's an uncaring sort of malaise because you find yourself without direction and purpose. When you don't feel like God is in it. But friend, he wants to be in it. He wants to be in it. He desires to be in it. He desires to be involved in the very details of your life. Because he loves, like Moses, like his relationship with Moses, he loves you and wants to have that pillar of cloud conversation with you each day. What are the characteristics of a people group or a society when God is not in their midst? I think again, there's a lack of mission. It's a lack of direction. There is moral breakdown. And the things which which clearly we learn from the Word of God are not effective and powerful and are not followed or obeyed if there is a group of people that are out of touch with God. May I say that today? I think we are a nation off track. But mercifully, I'm not going to go there this morning. You see... It is a clear, godly principle that God desires to dwell in the midst of his people. In the midst of his people. He illustrated it in another passage in Exodus. And if you step in my office, you will see on the wall behind my desk an artist rendering of the encampment, say encampment, of the encampment of the tribes of Israel during the Exodus. Guess what's smack in the middle? The tabernacle 
and the pillar of fire because God says, I will be in the midst of my people. It's his desire. It's his love for his people. He wants, guys, guys, he wants to hang out with us. He wants to be part of what we're part of. He wants to be involved in what we are involved in. He wants to, he wants to be leading where we are driven to. And so he parks himself in our midst. And that's the same with your individual life. Life. He wants to be parked in the midst of your individual life. Our Advent theme this year is going to be God with us. God with us. He came in the form of a baby grown into a perfect man and teacher and rabbi, died a cruel death, and was raised again on the third day. He, you see, God's desire is God with us. God with us. On your roughest day, on the day that tears your heart out, God is with you. How do I know that? I believe what he says. I believe what he says. If you are a blood-washed believer today, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And he is in it. Say, in it. That may be the most encouraging thing I've said today. He's in it. He's in it. Let me just quickly go through a few more scriptures about the presence of God in our lives. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three, yeah, don't we love this one? Especially when the crowd is small at church. Uh, <laughs> for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, where? Where? Where am I? I'm among them. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Woo! Always. Even to the end of the age. Rabbit trail alert. Buddy of mine, an, an older gentleman preacher from the early day spring years, he would say, I'm not flying in an airplane. Why? Because God said, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> lo, I am with you always. Hebrews 13, 5, friends. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content in such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Huh? Man, that's hallelujah kind of stuff. You can live a life of contentment. You can live a life of satisfaction. You can live a life that is enough because he is with you and will not leave you or forsake you. See how we turn the page here? First it was, I'm going to be with you, and then it was, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to stay with you. What a wonderful God we serve. 1 John 4, 16. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whosoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Beautiful promise. Psalm 1611, we read this verse to start our service this morning. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of man, I'm sorry, of God is with man. That works both ways. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In John chapter 14, you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I want to point out in that verse, before we go on, this is something the world doesn't know about, has an experience. And by the world, I mean those who haven't said yes to Jesus. Those who haven't responded to the gospel. Those who haven't come to the foot of the cross. Those who haven't said yes to the Savior. <laughs> the Holy Spirit of truth the world cannot accept into their lives the Holy Spirit of truth. He lives with you and will be in you. I want to suggest to us this morning that when an opportunity comes up, when a decision needs to be made, when you have a chance to do something special. If God isn't in it, it's not worth it. Amen. Moses says, if you're not going with us, we ain't going. As good as it looks, as attractive as it is, as beautiful as the flocks and fields and, and vineyards are, Moses said, if God, if you're not in it, I'm not gone. Amen. Amen. Amen.